brethren and you'll be very welcome at it as Saturday the 22nd of October. Now turn again with me to our Bible reading in Revelation chapter 19. That was a verse the Lord put in my heart this week as I heard all of the readings and all of the various services uh, in memory of our late Queen. These are some of the things that impressed themselves upon my mind and there's another great passage that I'll share with you tonight but this is one for this morning. <clears throat> so we're not following the normal schedule else we'll be back in the Sermon on the Mount. So it's easily remembered, Revelation 19, 9, 9, 9. Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. Revelation 19, 9. Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now before we come to the word of God, let's place unite our hearts in prayer. And do you, also as we come before God's word, let, we'll not just pray about the word, but we'll, we'll ask for the Lord's help and grace on others, matters that have been much in our heart over the past weeks. We do thank God for the recommencement of the, the children's work on Tuesday night past. Do you remember, that's, that's ongoing, but do you remember please the recommencement of the, the, mother, the mother and toddlers, parents and toddlers group this Wednesday? Uh, at 10.30. It's a little outreach and a little safe place for people to come into and enjoy fellowship and some refreshments together. And do remember uh, the church fellowship weekend. So first weekend in October there will be a lot of us away up at uh, White Park Bay on the north coast and we ask you to remember that in prayer that God would watch over us and keep us as we travel there. Our brother, Mr. Thomas Hanna, he officially commenced his course in the Whitfield in the past week. And we wish Thomas well. And remember him in your prayers. Remember to our brother, Mr. Noel Shields. <coughs> Noel is in Uganda in the Salu. He arrived safely after a long journey. He has a busy, busy schedule uh, over the next four weeks. And just prayed the Lord will be with him. Encourage him uh, and do him good there. They're two hours ahead of us. So he's his service finished. Hopefully he's getting his lunch. He'll be going out to one of the prison services uh, this afternoon and then the Sunday school. So he'll have plenty to occupy his time. So let's please unite in prayer as we seek the Lord together. Heavenly Father, we thank thee for the privilege of gathering around the word of God. What, what a blessing, Lord, this is. We pray for the help of the Spirit of God to discern even the Lord's message today. May it be the Lord's message for all of our hearts. And especially, Lord, for those that are still strangers to thee. May they hear that gospel call today. May they slight no longer the invitation, but close in with it. And seek the Lord while he may be found. And call upon him while he is near. Lord, believe we leave the, the preaching of the word before thee and we pray for the help of the Spirit of God that we might exalt the name of the Lord. Remember today, we ask of thee, the week that lies ahead, remember we ask that the recommencement of the mother and toddler's group, the parents' group on, on Wednesday. We pray that you'll be with all who gather 
And may the Lord's presence be made known in the midst. Remember also we ask today the, the good news meeting as it continues. Thank you for the recommencement last week. And we pray you'll bring others in even this week. And you'll bless the boys and girls of our church and of Anna alone with the saving grace of God. Remember Lord we do pray. I remember our brother Noel today. Bless him in Uganda and draw alongside to him. And bless our brother Thomas as he, as he has officially commenced his studies in the Whitfield College. Strengthen him in the Lord. We thank thee for those young men that finished and graduated on Monday night past. And we pray for them. I pray today for our brother, Mr. Jonathan Logan, in a, a, a story. And I pray today for our brother, uh, Stephen. Lord, be with them. Open the right doors for them. Guide them and lead them and direct them. And may the hand of God abide and rest upon them. We pray, Lord, that you'll make us salt and light in this land of ours. We, we mourn today. We grieve today the passing of a great leader in our late Queen Elizabeth II. But we look out in our land and we see it barren when it comes to the things of God. Lord, send us a breath of revival. Visit us. Visit us again. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> if you carefully read through the book of Revelation, you'll find that there are seven Beatitudes. Seven blessings. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 3. We have the opening. Uh, we have the opening beatitude. It's very interesting to read the sequence of it. If you turn back with me just a few chapters. We'll, we'll look at it just for a little second. Revelation 1 and verse 3. We're not long into the book. <coughs> These are the opening salutations. <coughs> And it says, Beloved when, sorry, <clears throat> blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. What a, what a blessing. The word blessing just means blessed, or uh, the, the, the word can be translated as happy. Happy is he that reads the book of Revelation. The blessing is, is not just in reading the book, but the blessing is in keeping uh, the ordinances and the commandments that are written in the book. Now the first uh, blessing in the book of Revelation corresponds to the final one. And the final one is found in chapter 22 and verse 14. And it says, Blessed are they that do his commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. So we know from our catechism that the word of God has been given to us to teach us not only what we are to believe concerning God, but what duty God requires of man. And so belief and duty go together. And so we learn here not only about the blessing of what we ought to believe from the book of Revelation, but we learn also about the blessing of obeying the precepts that are found in the book of Revelation. Now the other five, of course, are interspersed right throughout the book. Revelation 14, 13, number 2. Number 3, Revelation 16, 15. Number 4, Revelation 
19.9, 5 Revelation 26 and 6 Revelation 22 and 7. 7 in all, so the middle one is the fourth one. And it's central to it all because the fourth one is the pivotal one. Because it pronounces heaven's benediction upon those that are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. So if you miss out on the middle one, all the other ones collapse. They all fall down. It's the middle one that is the pivotal one in your response to the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's something very significant about chapter 19 I've pointed out before to you. It's the only chapter in the New Testament that uses the word uh, hallelujah, the abbreviated form of hallelujah. And it's recorded four times over. It's recorded as Christ comes to take unto himself his bride. As Christ comes to take his church at the consummation and at the end of redemption's history, there's a great shout goes up and it's one of the most strategic in all of history, in all of scripture itself. Hallelujah, for the king is coming and the king is coming for his bride. Verse 9, verse 7 to 9 gives to us the marriage song of the church in anticipation of the heavenly bridegroom. At some marriages there have been some strange singing. I've attended many weddings over the years and I've heard some strange renditions at those weddings. But here's one that we'll never forget. And it will outlast all eternity and it is the song of the church. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honour to him for the marriage of the Lamb is come and his wife hath made herself ready. And we read in verse 9, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now in the east, the culture was that the supper was the last meal of the day. Sometimes when we think of supper here, we think of something very light. But in the east, it wasn't something very light. It was a main meal. It was a, a sumptuous meal. And you went to bed full, and that kept you sleeping right throughout the rest of the night. So this truly blessed, in verse 9, is the fourth of the seven uh, blessings of the book of Revelation. And upon your response to it will determine all of your eternal blessedness. Now think on that for a moment. All of the eternal blessedness that you aspire to have is dependent on Revelation 1.9.9. Revelation chapter 19 verse 9. How you'll respond to the invitation to the marriage supper of the Lamb. We sang that lovely old hymn. It's a long time from we sung it together, Gospel Bells. And one of the verses goes, Do not slight the invitation. And here's an invitation for you and on along again today. Do not slight the gospel invitation. Because we've come to the end. And we're coming close to the end. When men and women will be privileged to hear that invitation. I want to stop with you today and consider this call of God's spirit to the marriage supper. And I do earnestly pray I pray today as I have been praying that there would be those who will respond 
and slight it no more, but accept it and embrace this gospel invitation today. So to help us understand this call, <clears throat> firstly, I'd like to consider with you some of the pre-planning that was necessary for the marriage supper. Those of you who have been involved in wedding arrangements over the last few years, well, you know that there's a lot of pre-planning goes into it. So what is outlined in our text, I think, can only be, understand, be understood if we have a grasp of the pre-planning of a Hebrew wedding. So we're not talking about a wedding here and on alone. We're talking about an Eastern wedding and all that it entails and all that it involves. So the first important uh, event in such a wedding was the betrothal. This was considered more binding even than our engagement equivalent. So it was a very formal arrangement that was entered into. The terms of the marriage were accepted in the presence of witnesses and God's blessing was pronounced upon the union. So it just didn't start on the day of the, of the marriage ceremony. It started long, long time before that. And from such a, a betrothal, the groom and the bride were considered legally husband and wife. And even when we think of the family of the Lord Jesus Christ, that was why it was such a big thing for Joseph to learn that Mary was with child because that contract, humanly speaking, had been broken and God had to reassure him, no, Joseph, it, had, it has not been broken. She has been true and honest to you. This is something of God. This is something of divine significance. So it was important. And the next stage was the interval between this betrothal and the wedding feast. And in this period of time, uh, the groom had to pay the dowry to the father. And so the dowry was the price that had to be paid over. And so the, the, the groom just didn't come and ask the father, I, I would like to marry your daughter. And you know, as, as most of us had to say, that was okay. But instead, he had to bring something with him. I don't know what it would have been. Maybe it would have been 10, 20 camels, maybe a hundred herd of, of sheep. I don't know what it was. What, it would depend on the equivalent of the family, the status of the family, the ability of the young woman that he was going to marry. All of that there was factored into it. But he didn't get that bride for nothing. And the marriage did not take place until the dowry was paid. And when then such matters were settled, Plans were made for the procession of the groom for the bride. And instead of the bride meeting the groom, the groom came to meet the bride. And he came in all of his finery, in all of his glory. Not just in a dark morning suit as maybe we're, we're more apt to do here. But he came in his in his glory and, and with his friends and they came singing and they came rejoicing to the home of the bride and the bride then would leave her parental home and the groom would bring her back to his home and of course the final stage in the whole proceedings was the marriage supper the wedding feast at the end of the day so I don't know when the day started, but it would have been a long day because the groom would have had to have gone to the home of his bride-to-be and brought her right back. And you can imagine coming right back to the home, all of the guests there, and the sumptuous feast was led on. And it just didn't last for that night because usually these feasts lasted 
for some seven days. So they were long, protracted, drawn out affairs. Now, I think if we look at that outline, we can see an overview of redemption story. The Bible time and time again, it compares the relationship between the church and Christ as between groom and bride, or bride and groom. There's many, many references to that. We spent a lot of time uh, during the winter last year looking at those verses in Revelation chapter 5, where the church is depicted as the bride. There are many other passages. Revelation chapter 21, verse 5, uh, Ephesians 5, 32, uh, Isaiah 50, verse 1. What has happened? The church is now betrothed to Christ. A solemn eternal covenant has been entered into and it cannot be broken. That covenant cannot be broken. It is the covenant of redemption. And the dowry has been agreed. And it has been handed over by the groom to the father. And as it were in church history, we're in the interval of separation between Christ's ascension and his coming again. And during this period, what happens? The bride makes herself ready. And at the end of this interval, this age that we live in, the heavenly bridegroom, our Lord Jesus Christ, who will be accompanied by his attendants, the angels in glory, they will come and they will come and take unto himself his bride. And they will sit down at the marriage supper of the Lamb and the bride will be with the, the, the groom for all eternity. It's not just going to last for a few days. It will last forever and ever. As we thought of oh, just a few weeks ago. So this marriage supper is a very important event. Because it's the climax of redemptive history. The bridegroom takes into union with himself the bride. For all eternity. And this is the opportunity that the bride now. Between ascension and the second coming. Has to prepare herself for the coming of the heavenly bridegroom. And God in his great sovereign purposes. He's bringing all of that plan. To fruition and fulfillment before a very eyes. The church is being called out from all over the world. But there's a day coming when the final cry will go up. Behold the bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to meet him. And what a day that will be. We always think it will be another day. It will not be this day. But there's a day coming when that cry will go up. Go out to meet him. And that will be the final invitation. I want to ask you. Are you ready for that call? I think our whole nation was taken by surprise. You, you would wonder that we would be taken by surprise when a 96 year old Days. But I think the nation was left stunned. Because as I said last Sunday, I think we thought our queen was endless and timeless. But she wasn't endless. And there was a time limit put upon her. Just as there's a time limit put upon this period. Just as there's a time limit put upon you, your, your time and my time. And soon the cry will go up, go out to meet him. And if that cry came to you today, let me ask you respectfully, are you ready to meet him? Are you ready? What a tragedy 
that the closing hours would come, the closing moment would come, the closing second would come. And you never thought of getting ready. Unprepared. Unprepared. Oh, I think of the preparation that men make this side of eternity for all types of things. I've listened to the news bulletins of people who dropped everything from Canada and made their way right over to London when the Queen passed on. I think of people who have searched the internet for places to stay, have gone to extreme lengths just to get over to London to witness all the history and all the pageantry of everything that's taking place. But you know what I lament most of all? That there's people who sit under the gospel week by week and they haven't made preparation for the most, most important day of all history when the king comes back. I want to speak to you secondly about the price of the bride. About the price of the bride. And of course it was the responsibility of the groom who had to pay the dowry. And can you know, I lived through this for, for quite a number of years and I would have helped people to get married but I never would have helped a young man to pay the dowry. That was his, nobody else's. He had to pay the dowry. Nobody else could pay it for him. And the image which is presented to, in, to us in Revelation chapter 19 is that of the Lamb. And the Lamb, of course, is the Lord Jesus Christ. And who paid the price of the bride? It was Christ. Nobody else. Revelation is only a book of, of some 22 chapters. And yet, Christ is presented as the Lamb some 29 times. More than any book in all of the New Testament. is not significant and amazing. Christ is presented as the Lamb of God in the book of Revelation. The final book is the book of the Lamb of God. And he had to pay the price. He had to pay the price for the bride who was chosen from all eternity. All eternity that bride was chosen. That's an amazing thought. We read in Revelation 13 and 8 <clears throat> about the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. We read all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. The, the, the price that the Lord Jesus paid had an eternal value put upon it and it encompassed all of those who were chosen away back in eternity past and elected by God in his sovereign decree of election unto eternal life. There was an, this was an arranged marriage. Young people today don't like the idea in our culture of parents arranging uh, who they're going to marry. But this was an arranged marriage. The bride was chosen out from lost mankind, given to the son, and he had to pay the bride price. When the Lamb of God appeared in human flesh at the incarnation, the betrothal took place. He came with a definite number in view. It was recognized that the bride was the Lamb's wife. We read in Revelation 21, 19, 
And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven lost plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. Now what a responsibility did the Lamb of the Incarnation undertake for the bride, the Lamb's wife. It's clearly stated here that the bride is the wife of the Lamb. All that we as sinners could do was nothing. We had nothing to contribute. He paid it all. We were helpless. We couldn't perform what was asked of us. But he fulfilled it all. He lived the life we couldn't live. Isn't that lovely? We, we, we read in the Song of Solomon, chapter 4, verse 7 today, there's no spot in them. A perfect, a perfect bridegroom. None of us, there's no brother here today could say that they ever were the perfect bridegroom. But Christ is the perfect bridegroom. There's no spot in them. And the perfect bridegroom came to pay the price that we couldn't pay. He paid it all. I said to you a few weeks ago, Salvation is 100% of God. Even if it's only 1% of man, it's not of God. It's 100% of God. He paid it all. How blessed we are today for the Lamb fulfilled on his, his duty right to the nth degree. And what was the price he had to pay? Well, we go afresh to Calvary. The Bible teaches us that at Calvary, he was led as a sheep to the slaughter and like a, a lamb, dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. Acts 8 verse 32. We read in First Peter chapter 119 of the precious blood of the lamb as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. If you want to know how much Christ loved you as a Christian, if we want to know how much Christ loved us as a church collectively, if we want to know how much Christ loved the church universal, right throughout the world, we look to the cross. I love those words of Samuel Stone's hymn, The Church is One Foundation. One of the verses goes, From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride, and with his blood he bought her, and for her life he died. What a blessing to be part of the church of the firstborn. The price has been paid. Don't allow the devil to try to undermine your standing in Christ. When the devil comes and tells you what an awful person you are and how sinful you are and you'll fall short, you tell him, yes, every time. I, I, I know my sins and yet thousands more, but Jehovah findeth none. The price is paid. We're his. We're his for all eternity. In Revelation chapter 19, 7 and 8, we're taught about how the bride has been prepared the church has made herself ready. The lamb's wife, the bride, has made herself ready by putting on the garments of the saints. And we read here in these verses that these were linens which were clean and white. 
linens which were clean and white. Now you only get the significance of that if you compare the linen of the saints which were clean and white, simple, radiant, beautiful, <coughs> with the gaudy apparel of Babylon in chapter 18. You can read it, chapter 18, verse 16 and 17. What a contrast. The gaudy golden garments of the world signified something which one day it would perish and they had to be exchanged for the garments of the saints. You know, there's a wonderful simplicity and purity about the child of God. And there's a wonderful some spirituality in that simplicity. And I think there's a lesson here for our collective worship. The true church of Christ must put off the gaudy garments of Babylon. We don't need the garments of Babylon. We don't need the ornate worship of Babylon. We don't need the, the architecture of Babylon. We don't need the, the, the ritual and the rigmarole and the mumbo jumbo of Babylon. My belief is the simpler our worship is, the better our worship is. That is not to say we approach it in any haphazard manner. And we don't give to God that which cost us nothing. But we seek to God, we seek to worship God in simple yet spiritual manner. A church that is thus adorned is ready for the bridegroom's call. Uh, some people t tell me, oftentimes people say to me, well, could you not do this in church? And could you not do that in church? And could you not add, into the, add that into the worship of church? And so forth and so on. It would be like putting on the garments of Babylon. And coming into the presence of God. The garments of the saints are very simple. They were arrayed in fine linen, clean clean and white there's an application of course here in our private worship and our, and our fitness to meet God we read about those who came out of great tribulation they washed their robes and they made them white in the blood of the lamb and just the all important question we often sing those lovely old gospel hymns about having your garments washed in the blood of the Lamb. Your sins washed away in the blood of the Lamb. And if your garments, your life has not been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb today, you're in no fit state to meet the Lord. Such garments, they're a gift. Because verse 8 tells us, to her was granted that she should be arrayed in these. The inhabitants of Babylon have obtained their garments from the worldly merchants that they traded with. You see the whole picture. Uh, Revelation 17, 18 of Babylon. Of commerce. Of the world. Of, of buying and selling. And all that goes in there. They had paid a high price for them. But the garments that the saints had. They were gifted to them. God gave them to them. His bride had to be prepared in garments that were suitable. Uh, the word of God teaches us. That salvation is a gift of God. These garments of salvation that we're clothed with. They're gifted to us. These garments. Were garments of righteousness. The Bible tells us. Righteousness imparted. By the power of the spirit of God. Righteousness imputed to us. By the grace of God. 
the righteousness of Christ which is received and made ours by simple faith alone. Have you got on the right garments? I'm not talking about your Sunday clothes. I'm not talking about your Sunday suit or your Sunday best. I'm talking about your heart and your life before Almighty God. Have you got on the right garments? The garments of salvation. You can be in church with everything else right and the heart all wrong. But you're in the right place to put on the right garments. And don't tell me, please don't tell me, it doesn't matter what you wear. When you stand before God, you'll not say that. We read in Matthew twenty-two thirteen about the man who thought he could get into the, the wedding feast. And he, he would just come any old way he wanted. He just came in his own garments. And what did the king say? Bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him into outer darkness. What presumption was on his part. He thought he could come in his sinful rags and be accepted by the king and reject the king's garments. He can't do it, men and women. You'll either come in his garments or you'll be put out. At this interval between Christ's ascension and the second coming, there's going to come one day the marriage supper of the Lamb. There could be long years of waiting and patience. But at the end of that long years of waiting and patience, those that have been invited will enter in. It's the climax of the age. We're heading toward it every day. We're heading closer toward it. Blessed are those that are called unto that supper. I'm blessed to be enabled to present that invitation to you again today. Do not slight the invitation. Don't slight it. Don't turn it away. Embrace it. Accept it. By faith call upon the Lord Jesus Christ for grace and mercy and pardon today. And know what it is to have the assurance that when the king comes back, when the heavenly bridegroom comes back, that you'll be one of the ones that will enter in with him for all eternity to the marriage supper.